Hey. Hi. How's how's your week? Uh big week. Huge week. Yeah. Better than Tim Cook's. Yeah, well we'll get to that. <laughs> it feels I don't know. I I had a plan today, so and and it's it's not really going to plan and that's that's okay. Um we have to we have to think of one frivolous thing before we talk about the the legitimate news. Do you have anything or do you want me to try to dig something up? I think we we've got some fun follow up. Does that count? No. You're you're thinking like more pre follow up. Yeah, I don't think the yeah Apple Apple Music. Well, we're working with like yeah, sure services revenue, but is that working? Is that is that fighting the headwinds? I don't know. Mm, is it? We'll find out. No. Actually, I do have one thing that I want to. Are there? <laughs> do you ever look up? who owns a product you like like what do you what do you mean or, or do, have you have you ever looked at like the corporate parent like tangled web that a lot of the stuff that you buy leads sometimes yeah so i'm gonna give an example and maybe you can tell me if i'm being irrational about not wanting to buy something now do you did, uh did you hear the the news about jewel j-u-u-l uh, yes and, and you're a big user of them and no no so Altria bought them, or or did like a twelve billion dollar strategic investment in the um, in the, in the company bringing smoking back with kids. So that's that's top notch all around. But but uh, I think it was in the mid two thousands. Philip Morris did like a whole marketing campaign where they created a parent company called Altria, which has one of those names that you don't really know what it is, but it's probably evil, like like Xfinity. <laughs> I was going to bring up another example that was really, really close to home, and I, it seems it seems unwise, so I'm not going to do that. But, but yeah, like it's Xfinity. You you have too much baggage with Comcast and in uh, quote unquote it's Comcastic, so therefore you create Xfinity and you distance yourself, and, and just like that, you love your home security system, mm-hmm. and you don't even realize it's it's from the uh, from Cable Town. But yeah, so there's a good brand of uh, reasonably priced wine uh, out of Washington called Chateau Saint Michel. Ooh, fancy. And it's owned by Altria, so now I can't buy it anymore. Huh. Like, if you ever look this stuff up, it's so weird of, like, uh, who owns what, and that now, yeah, that, that can't be a thing. I'm trying to think if I have ever gone down that rabbit hole and had something similar happen. I can't, can't think of anything. And also, like it's it's um like and also it's kind of happening with the tech space because I was at Target earlier tonight and like you, we've talked about this before but like the the uh, direct consumer CPG stuff mm-hmm. like that's like every end cap is some weird internet brands it's all Nature Box it's all Harry's it's all just just weird stuff yeah Target seems to have kind of cornered that market they've leaned in even though that's mm. not a problematic term but. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's, it, so it's like, um, I think it's Unilever, or are they the ones who own Gillette? I, that's so, I don't know, that's so hard to keep track of. So, like, it's the same thing there, where either they bought, it's either Harry's or Dollar Shave Club or one of these internet brands, where you just, you just never know, like, fucking, like, Monsanto is gonna buy Casper or something, or, I don't know, I can't think of another evil company, but. Every, 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 everything's difficult and problematic is what i'm saying even wine yeah there was a um a somewhat related um blurb uh in next draft today talking about monopolies mm. did you see that i did not so the well, i'll put the actual link to the article that dave Pell's linking to but the 
pull quote that he included in the next draft letter today was Facebook and Google have so much power in the advertising market. They control 66% of online revenue. Uh, two companies make 64% of American diapers. One company builds 52% of America's mobile homes. Two companies produce 78% of its corn seeds. And one company assembles 61% of syringes. It turns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like with, you ever notice with um, Coca-Cola and Pepsi? It's like every other, what you think is a different uh, soda brand ultimately rolls up to one of those two. Well, of course, because that's the thing. And this goes back to uh, Stiller Sparkling patent pending trademark is mm-hmm. that uh, a boobly or bubbly or whatever, wherever you want to put the accent mark and the missing B, uh, that's owned by PepsiCo. And then um, LaCroix is owned by National Beverage Co. So they're different. But uh, Dasani Sparkling, like all those things, like you, you think that um, like your preferred soft drink brand is is somebody else but no it's it's all owned by two or three companies and it's 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 madness or it's not madness but it's it's consolidation and it's it's effect it's uh, effective and efficient but it's it's not what you think it is and kind of like how upgrade owns 90 percent of the sort of online video streaming news we we own about 95 percent of the sparkling water news Mm -hmm, we we, mm kind of get we've got those those markets cornered as you would say yeah, up, up, upgrade has. <laughs> I listened to that um, Christmas Carol episode today. It, it was better than you. It, the The premise was weird, but it's better than you would have thought it would. I'm been. glad. I'm glad that you semi encouraged me to listen to it. Yeah, and I thought the Federico stuff, even though he, he he's Mister iPad, it, I thought that was fun. I thought it was a clever format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm always happy whenever Stephen Hackett's on something. He put a new video out of uh, um, about the twelve-inch PowerBook G4, and that that was pretty great. Hmm. But yeah, but so what do you what 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 was your takeaway from that episode? I thought the past stuff was interesting, and the way that they tied it to today's situation with the Mac. So specifically, they talked a lot about how, and I think like Stephen was supposed to be from the year two thousand five, where there are all these rumblings that Apple's going to make the switch to Intel. And they compared that to the situation that we're in today, where most think that Apple's headed towards using ARM for the Mac. And I thought that it was it was interesting how they compared those two years. Yep. Yeah. And it seems it seems pretty accurate. And I and it it was the sort of punchline they had at the end about how the big difference now is that Apple sort of is Intel in the sense that they're the ones making the best smartphone chips where Intel back in 05 was making the best, you know, laptop and desktop chips. So it's, it's different in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It it is so weird how Intel totally missed the, like the mobile revolution. Cause I remember back when I was winning Intel and Microsoft, it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, so that's the curious thing is cause, um, yeah, we knew each other back then. But like I used to be in, in high school days, I used to be a big um uh Microsoft Pocket PC person. Hmm, I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know if we were close enough back then t- for me to know this about you. Yeah, like in in like there were a lot of weird ones like back then like Dell used to make the Axum line of PowerPC or not PowerPC, Pocket PC things. And then a couple I had a couple of HP models that were pretty great. 
um, called the iPack, which was not mm. not well named at all. Mm-hmm. But I did really love my HP iPack forty three fifty five. That was exceptional Rolls because it had right up the tongue. It had a BlackBerry style keyboard built into it. It was it was, it was pretty sweet. Um, but that was like the last time Intel was relevant in mobile because they Intel used to have a line of ARM processors that used to power most of those products called Xscale. And then that's kind of when they completely lost relevance because like everything, Microsoft is five years ahead. And when it actually um, comes time to do it, they um, they aren't ready. Did you like the iPack better or not as much as your Palm Pre? That's... Well, that's tricky because I can't tell I if you're asking I asked, this earnestly. I, I asked the tough questions here, Carlos. You should know this about me. This is episode 180, by the way. So, you know, you should have me figured out by now. <laughs> I, were, I wasn't sure if you, were make, if you were making a joke about flipping this around on me. <laughs> you can edit it out to make it seem like it was. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. That was a weird time because I, I flipped around between I used to be a big Palm OS guy and then it was pocket PCs and then it turned into uh, BlackBerry and then BlackBerry stopped being a thing and then, you know, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we've avoided the... So why we had to throw away the old show and, and, and re-record. We'll, we'll just pretend we gave people two episodes even though we're not, we never actually did it. Um, earlier today, let me bring up uh, preview.app. Uh, we have letter from Tim Cook to Apple investors. Oh, sorry, is there any follow up that you were dying to talk about, or not really? Um, I, the only small thing that I had was, mm-hmm. and I'll perhaps have more to say about this going forward. But uh, loyal listeners will remember from over the summer we talked extensively about um, switches, specifically as they relate to the Philips Hue bulbs. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like one of the glaring omissions from that whole ecosystem is the bulbs themselves are great, and they obviously have a really nice app and a good integration with the lady in a can, but you know, you don't really want to always be controlling your lights with either automation or your voice. Sometimes you just want a traditional switch. And so then sometime later, we talked about how you know I kind of came up with this solution where I've got the hue dimmer switches on top of my old switches, which I think is, is kind of something similar to what you've done. Um, but then we also had mentioned at the time that Philips Hue was going to be partnering with this company, Alumra, I think, um, who was going to come out with a actual light switch that you could replace your current switches with to control Hue lights. And they had said that that was going to come out before the end of 2018, and as far as I can tell, they 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 just barely made it because I had been sort of periodically checking in over the last couple of months and just in the last week noticed that these are on sale now. So I think they came in uh, just under the wire, sort of un- unlike air power, um, just to kind mm-hmm. of set up our Apple digs here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll put a link to this in the notes. Um, there's some curious things about it. Um, the first being that the way that it works is it comes with a wire nut, which you can then use to, I guess, permanently wire. So if, if you're taking out an existing switch, I guess you use this wire nut to permanently tie together some of your existing wiring so that effectively your lights are permanently on, like as far as your electrical system is concerned. 
I, I've always been under the impression that that's not something you're supposed to do. Cause I, when I had first gotten into the, the Hue thing, I had sort of looked into hacky ways that people had come up with switch solutions. And I, I thought there were a couple out there where people were doing something similar to that. And there would always be someone coming in going like, eh, you know, you really shouldn't do that. So I'm a little unclear about that. Um, I, I need to just download the manual for one of these things and read a little bit more into it. Uh, but then the other thing about these, and this is sort of the maybe even more problematic part, is they're $50 a piece. <laughs> Wait, do you so, think that's cheap or expensive? Um, it's, it's probably a fair price for what it is, and, and if you compare that price to most other Hue accessories, but it's just, it's when you think about the number of light switches in your home and all of the money that's already been spent on dimmer switches in my case that would all effectively become obsolete if I were to go and replace them with these. That's just kind of a big investment. So I'm, I'm excited about these, but I have some concerns. I'd push back on that because I'm looking up those Casita switches that people seem to like or find to be the least bad. And those seem to range between $99 and $220. Well, that's, I mean, I guess that's, that's what I'm saying is that compared to maybe even not just other Hue products, but just products in this category, they're not unfairly priced. But I mean, it, again, it, it would be, I guess I haven't done the exact math, but I mean, it would be hundreds of dollars if I wanted to go through and set these up throughout my house. So you're saying that you're bummed. It's like you bought the iPhone 10 and they introduced the iPhone XS right afterward. So that's, this Apple news has made you sassy. I don't know if I like it. I, I am not sassy at all. <laughs> okay. So seems cool i again as <laughs> i always look at it through everything as the eyes of as a, the eyes of a renter and therefore i don't see the upside in this uh versus just the stacking um just because i don't like i feel like the the home automation stuff is just still not mature enough to want to like hardwire stuff like because like belkin has had stuff like this for a long time where you could actually do like in wall wemo stuff but their app and all their stuff has always been so bad that I would, I, I would be like, that that's crazy because you'd have to rip it all out in two years. Well, this, so to be clear, there's, this is not, there's no permanent wiring that's happening in your house with these. And it's, there's no other app you're using that this all just natively hooks into the Philips Hue app. And you, in fact, you set them up directly in the Philips Hue app. There's no Illumina app or anything. You don't know that, um, Hue is not going to be like, okay, we just had a breakthrough in, in Gen 3 of, of Philips Hue lights use entirely different everything. That, that could happen. I mean, it wasn't the thing with them. The first version of their bridge didn't work with HomeKit or anything. And then they came out with the second version, which made everybody upset. But we'll get to it. But that was Apple being Apple. And therefore, they had that whole like hardware chip uh, requirement before they relaxed all that stuff. So that's when... Um, my lowly hue gen one like little circle bridge thing actually still doesn't work with siri oh so you have that first generation oh, I, bridge I, I am an early adopter hell, mm. hell yeah i do and i'm not i'm not buying the square bridge for nothing <laughs> hmm interesting yeah um and then the, i guess the only other follow-up that i wanted to to get your take on here before we get into the the stuff you really want to get into is some raider follow-up yeah, yeah, Pirates Till I Die. Or what is what is their logo? It's just a scary looking dude with an eye patch. Yeah. Are they pirates? I, I, maybe. I'm not really sure. 
Um, but they, you know, have, I think as we discussed on the show, there's a question about where they're going to play next season because the city of Oakland is bringing a lawsuit against them and they, they're technically not even on the lease for next year. They've just been kind of going month to month at the Coliseum. And it turns out, I guess, when you're negotiating a lease and there's a lawsuit in the background, it just, you know, it just doesn't make for a super healthy situation. So pretty much every day for the past two weeks, you wake up to a different rumor about where they might play next season. There were some stories early on about San Diego, and then that changed to, well, maybe they'll just move to Las Vegas early. Maybe they'll just play at Levi Stadium where the Santa Clara 49ers play. But then after we talked about that on the show, another story came out about them possibly playing in AT&T Park for a season, which, you know, I can't imagine you would be very happy about. I don't care that much. Like, I mean, it's weird overall. Like, I don't has have two football teams ever shared um, an arena if they don't actually play in the same city. Like, is is there precedent for them to play it at Levi Stadium? I mean, currently the Giants and the Jets play in the same stadium. But with that one, even though it's the New Jersey Jets, they don't they pretend that they're from the same city? Aren't they both the New York Jets and the New York Giants or yes. New York Football Giants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like the the San Francisco Forty ers of Santa Clara and the Oakland Raiders. Like those are entirely different things. I don't know. It's 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 whatever. Like I'm always surprised that they can turn ATT Park into like an entertainment venue, and that they once um, recently didn't they do a soccer thing there too? Or they just yeah, I mean, they've the done thing? yeah they've done soccer, they've done rugby. I think they've done college football. I think there was a a bowl game there a couple of years back, and then of course you know they do concerts there. Yeah, they do a little bit of everything. Yeah, and then the Giants certainly aren't using the place, so they can. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, who who do you think would have more wins, the the Raiders or the Giants in a season? I mean, I think if you don't divide the numbers, the Giants, <laughs> by number of games, statistically would probably have more wins. You would hope so. I, th- I think we can go 20 for 20, as long <laughs> as we don't include that there's 161 or 163 or whatever, how many games there are in baseball. 162. <laughs> I really thought it was 163. Whoops. Nope, 162. You have a leap year and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm, right. So yeah, that, that's that's it for me. Go go ahead and I'm I'm going to go get my bowl of popcorn, mute my microphone and just just let you let you go to work here. No, this is dumb. Like this is a th- you just you, you don't even know where to start. You're just you're you're giddy about this. I'm not, and because I, I, cause I like Apple as a company. So the quick thing is, so like earlier today, I got a, a news alert on my phone, and I'm, I actually, I, you don't have the CNBC app on your phone, right? No. Like they're actually pretty good with their timeliness of like market alerts, where you probably get more of them that you want than you'd want. But there's a setting on iOS where you can just say like, show me the new the things like the the notifications that the app is sending me, but don't actually. Like, if I haven't looked at my phone in three hours, like, don't put them as unread notifications. Just, like, flash them across the screen real quick. So, like, I think they were the first ones to get it. And there was just, like, this alert saying Apple shares halted, Apple warns on Q1 earnings or something like that. I was like, hmm, that's that, that's unusual. That's kind of interesting. So, uh, Tim uh, Tim and Luca, friends of the show, um, submitted to the SEC as... Um, <laughs> 
Are they not friends of the show? Are you? Are you? Are you? No, I'm, I'm. I'm. You can't see it, but I'm. I'm nodding in agreement here. You didn't know that Luca and I were on first name basis. Yes, okay. <laughs> I, I certainly didn't. No. Uh, we all. We all. Wait, go is, is being called by? I thought being called by your first name was bad on this show. Didn't we have a whole thing with like? No. Am I getting no, that no, no. mixed up? It, it, I think we were talking about Tesla, and I said he is Mister Musk. To oh, us. oh, it's the okay. opposite. I've got it. Okay, you're right. You're right. Yeah. If, if I ever say Mister Cook or Mister Fretwell, you know, you know, you're in deep shit. <laughs> I've, I've, I've fucked up. <laughs> You've done some bad stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that, when I say Mister Something or Mrs. Something, that means you've been very problematic. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Tim and Luca did a, a wrote a letter to the SEC and to uh, Apple shareholders in general, uh, saying I, I won't read the whole entire thing. But Apple today issued the po- the following public letter to investors: We are revising our guidance for Apple's fiscal 2019 first quarter uh, that ended December 29th, and we now expect the following. So the the uh, the headlining changes here are that uh, their revenue approximation is eighty four billion dollars versus the previous estimate of between eighty nine and ninety three billion, depending on which end of the estimate you use. That's a shrinkage of six to nine percent or six to nine billion, and that's everything else. Pretty much stays the same. They think their operating um, margins are going to stay in the high thirties, um, and everything else is pretty much the same. Um, so. You can take that a lot of different ways of like what that big um, discrepancy, because on a percentage basis, it actually doesn't seem like it's that much. But when you think about companies that would love to have six or nine billion dollars for their entire total revenues for the lifetime of their company, I don't know. It's it's something that's that's pretty impactful and something that speaks to a lot of things that we've talked about recently. So, uh. Apple's justification for this is that they say that, um, blah, 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 when we talked about our Q1 guidance six, two months ago, uh, we knew the first quarter was going to be impacted by both macroeconomic and Apple-specific factors, uh, and they estimated to the best of their ability, but they they did not uh, get it right. Um, so like, what, what do you think this relates to? Like, like, or like... We're gonna we're gonna talk about every angle of this, but like when you get the the alert and you see that Apple is guiding down um, for the first time in two decades by about ten percent on their their revenues for the holiday quarter, like what 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 are your initial reactions? My very first reaction is the smartphone market is mature, and I think the way that the iPhone and really, I guess iPhone revenue specifically since unit sales have been tapering off for a while, but revenues continue to to grow at a pretty steady clip has been a not smoke and mirrors because there there's been specifics behind that. It's been entering into new markets. It's been addressing different screen sizes where, you know, there was previously some pent up demand, but we've kind of reached a point where all of those kind of options have been exhausted. And so the iPhone, like the smartphone market in general, is is really saturated. Not, not not completely, you know, it's not like every single possible person who could get a smartphone has a smartphone, but it's it's reaching a point where it's just hard to imagine this market ever growing anywhere close to what it where it was, you know, five to eight years ago. So I, I think that's that's just where we are. Yeah, but so 
you're you're correct in that all of this revenue loss is based off of underperformance of the iPhone as a product segment, but it just happens to be that for Apple that ends up being seventy uh, percent of their total revenues. I, I guess the question I have is like, why? So it's a mature market and it's product saturation, but why does that mean that since Apple has proven that they are uh, uh, no longer playing the unit game and they're now a company that is guided only by two things, services revenue and ASP of iPhones, why why would that lead to a, a revenue shortfall? Well, so let me give you maybe a more satisfying answer, like maybe what you're looking for here. No, no, I'm not looking for any answer. I'm just <laughs> looking for... a even-handed discussion. I think there's a little bit of hubris here. Mm. I think I think Apple has sat on their hands a bit. Not not even just with the iPhone, but just their their entire product line in general. There are certain things like their camera technology in the iPhone, although there's even some question around that given what Google's been doing over the last 12 to 24 months. But there there are specifics like that where Apple clearly is still a leader. But I think in a, in a lot of respects, maybe even more respects than the examples you could come up to the contrary, where Apple just hasn't really pushed the envelope in the way that you'd expect them to. And, and quite frankly, in the way that they were when they were kind of making their post-iPod resurgence. Like, there was a time, and you'd be better probably at identifying this than me, but there would have been a time, I think, probably like 08, 09, 2010, where you look across Apple's entire product lineup. The iPhone was by far and away the best smartphone. The MacBook Pro was unquestionably the best laptop. You know, the I guess the iPad would have been rolling out around then, so it would have by far and away been the most advanced tablet. And, you know, you could argue whether the tablet was ever really an important market for anybody. But if you believe it was, then, I mean, the iPad was unlike anything else that had come before it. So you look across their entire product lineup and it's just, it's cutting edge across the board. And you kind of look at where they're at now. And again, there are certain parts and components that where, you know, Apple's still the leader, but I don't think you can universally say they are anymore. I would I would I would say that's fair, but I would actually like I I would I would disagree with a lot of that. Um, like my complaints and I of the two of us have had probably a lot more negative stuff to say about the company. Like you've been appropriately critical, but I I maybe up until today would have been perceived as being too critical of the company. And and it's it's that I wouldn't say that they're out like being out innovated or that the products that they're shipping aren't good like i have my complaints about like i don't really care for face id and i have very very strong things to say about the direction they've taken with the mac and stuff like that but the iphone i still think for the most part it's best in class and even though they have had like maybe some software challenges or maybe the um the software that powers uh, powers both the ipad and the iphone is maybe not keeping up with the hardware um, in terms of uh, features for advanced users and stability and stuff like that, like there are things to to criticize with that. But I, I, I guess my biggest issue with it, it and, it, and it, it it does take it, it it's in agreement and in alignment with a lot of things that you said, which is 
I do think it's hubris, but I think it's Apple's the balls that Apple has to uh, charge what uh, what they do for uh, certain products and a lot of people to go along with it and say that that's what Apple needs to charge to provide best-in-class hardware. I, I think that's more of the problem. I would say that the iPhone XS is one of the best phones they've ever been able to ship and one of the best phones on the market entirely. But as the smartphone market has matured, the problem ends up being that the low end and the mid range uh, competitors that they have are closing in on the feature gap and they make a very, very competent and compelling product. And Apple, who um, coasts on um, brand loyalty in developed markets, uh, has found that they, f- they feel that they've reached peak iPhone, whether or not they're willing to state it. And therefore, they're then therefore going to uh, just milk the customers that they have for as much as they possibly can until they hit a wall of when they won't pay anymore. And it looks like we found that. Yeah, you're probably right about a lot of that. But I guess what I would point out is Apple products have always been relatively expensive. That's been true even pre-iPhone. Like you looked at any laptop or desktop lineup in say the mid to late you know 2000s mm-hmm. and you 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 spec'd out a similarly you know comparable like Dell computer and you were paying a, a very hefty premium for for Apple stuff so the the they kind of the, the Apple tax as you would say is not is not anything new I, I, I would I would agree but what I would say is we have to compare that to when Apple entered the market the iPhone has always been expensive, but um, yeah, and, and uh, just uh, FYI, I, I've, I've <laughs> when this happened, I unblocked Twitter, and and I've been reading a lot of Apple Twitter over the past like six hours or so, and people have been talking a lot about um, like Gruber, who ha- maybe is the one who coined the term uh, of the way of describing Apple as um, a luxury brand to an extent. But that generally meant that they were a high-end brand that was attainable luxury for most people, and that their pricing strategy, where the the previous top-end iPhone, and inflation has not affected the, uh, comparability of this over the past decade that much, where the high-end iPhone was usually like five ninety-nine or six fifty, and it went up from there. And when the Plus models came out, sure, it increased to seven fifty. But now when you think of what the quote-unquote good iPhone costs, that is now $1,000 or $1,100, up from $650 um, three years ago. Where I think a lot of that is, yeah, Apple's hubris and and, and just a cockiness where they can just – they feel like they have a captive audience and they can just keep ratcheting up prices. And sure – that allows them to be more um, daring and and uh, employ premium materials and and um, adopt uh, OLED screens and stuff like that. Even though Samsung's been doing that for for a decade, but like I mean, apparently that's one of the um, the gating factors for um, like the pricing strategy of like the XS and the iPhone Ten and stuff like that. But like, I think Apple's always kind of been expensive, but. And this is the whole conversation I think like the Apple community has been having for the past year. Apple's getting really expensive. 
for maybe not that much um, uh, obvious realizable value. Well, so again, what you're saying I don't think is unfair, but you're omitting some key facts. I think so. You're you're Just right. In, the gaps. Yeah. So so you're you're right in that you know that like the absolute top of the line iPhone used to be or used to start rather at 649 just a handful of years ago. But so you look at something like the iPhone 10R, which, you know, really in a, in a lot of ways is a top of the line iPhone. Like I actually was just in an Apple store this weekend, held an iPhone 10S and a 10R right next to each other. And even, you know, the tech nerd side of me kind of has a hard time telling a big difference between the LCD or, you know, liquid retina, as you would say, screen and the OLED screen. And then, you know, sure, the, you, you get the software bokeh effect versus the second lens. But again, I think you would agree that they probably both don't look that great. So what's the difference? No. <laughs> um, but you actually have better battery life. You have a slightly bigger screen than the iPhone XS. And this is a phone that starts at 749 So yes, still more expensive than 649 But I don't view a $100 increase in the base price of a top-of-the-line iPhone to be that egregious. So I, I, I think, I think, if, I think if, if we lived in a world where the 10R didn't exist and Apple was only selling the 10S at the top of the line, then absolutely what you're saying is spot on. But I, I think they have made an effort to sort of... Yes, they're in, they're increasing prices. There's there's no beating around the bush there, but but they are also increasing choice with the iPhone. There's there's more there's more of an iPhone lineup now, whereas it mm -hmm. used to just be, hey, here's the one phone you can buy. Yeah, but the but the 10R is shit though. But it's it's not though. The iPhone 10R is a really good phone. That is absolutely correct. But it exists next to this other high end phone. Like that's that's the problem. And and this is something that, I, and again, people can go back to prior episodes where I'm probably going to contradict myself here, but the 10R is a very great phone. And if the 10S, if the 10 had never existed and the 10R and the 10, sorry, the 10 and the 10S and 10S Max had never existed, the 10R would be an amazing phone. But it's now a phone that costs $100 more than the previous accepted price point for top of the line phones and exists $250 down market from the actual top of the line iPhone. So just because you can suggest and and tell an accurate story that the 10R is a very very good phone and can hang with the Pixel 3 and the rest of the top of the line top tier um mobile phones out there that doesn't make a difference of discouraging people from upgrading because they can't afford what is the actual top of the line iphone and this new quote-unquote mid-range phone is actually more expensive than what the top of the line phone used to be and that's okay apple can increase prices but to to well, suggest that i mean just, not, not to not to, to interrupt but i mean no, I think no, we're, we're, we're getting into something a little different here though which is we're getting into more of just a messaging and marketing problem which i think mm. we'll, we'll, well be it would totally translates into absolute like economic reality and what revenues will be because people will be confused and not want to buy it because they feel like they're getting taken for a ride in the u.s and in china but it's well right but it, it it's that's a little bit of a different story than what we started out with which is where 
Apple's just, you know, freely thinking that a- people will just pay whatever they want them to pay for an iPhone. I don't. Well, no, well, no. I, th- I think it's. I think think it's been an experience experiment where because t- that is what Tim loves to do. And that he 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 wants like uh, Tim wants the illusion that Apple can hit every price point. It's the reason why they the iPhone Seven is still for sale, and that they experimented with the iPhone SE, and that they feel that they can sell to different parts of the market without bringing down the brand cachet and actually increasing it by having higher and higher end products. Like I, I don't think it's necessarily a marketing problem. I just think it's that Apple like wants to have to have everything to keep unheard of. 35 to 40% margins and push the ASP up to astronomical heights. So I I think this might be a somewhat original take here. I know we, we rehash other podcasts that we listen to a lot. How dare you? But I, I think this is an original thought. I don't think I've seen this anywhere. I think a lot of the problem with the iPhone lineup today, and some of this is just my personal bias sort of against this technology which is which is the OLED screens because again I I personally don't think the OLED screens that great in the iPhone I've I mean you can go back and listen to shows like my original iPhone 10 like I was not super impressed with the screen and I continue to not be super impressed with the screen on my iPhone 10s Max and particularly with this past weekend having just seen the 10R and 10s screens side by side it that's sort of confirmed that you know these current LCD screens look just fine. They basically look the same. And it seems like the overwhelming reason for these 10S phones being so much more expensive is the screen technology. So I don't know, maybe it, maybe it's a mistake for Apple to be embracing OLED on the phone because it, it seems to come at a huge price premium. And in my opinion, just doesn't really noticeably improve the experience of using an iphone so then why are samsung and google able to do it well but i mean i guess i'm i'm not you're more plugged into this than i am but like aren't modern like pixel phones and stuff aren't they pretty expensive too yeah they're 700 bucks they're, they're 10r priced really That's, is that mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. so like you go into a store like the the highest end pixel phone is 700 bucks i think the pixel xl which would be a cl- equivalent mostly to the 10s max is like 799 hmm yeah like i i get i get that and yeah like i I, that is an original point or that that's a take i haven't heard before and i'd say like that 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 is partially true where apple could have said that the um the iphone 10 was kind of like a 20th anniversary mac thing where like we're gonna try a bunch of weird like a bunch of weird shit and, and like just in try to make the best of the best and we're like you know what it actually didn't make enough difference and we think our liquid retina technology is great and that's going to allow us to deliver this product at a at a more competitive price point so you know what we're, we're like oled was a was an experiment we tried and, and, and we're, we're good we think retina, liquid retina is pretty great like they could have done that but that's not the the screen is not what costs 250 dollars. like that's that's not making the difference in cost between the 10r and the in the 10s like in terms of raw cost of materials, like I'm just pulling this out of my butt. Like, but that's probably sixty dollars. But that's, I mean, but I mean, that's really the, at least from a technical perspective, that's sort of the, uh, other than the single lens versus dual lens system, that, that's kind of the only difference. I mean, same processor, same image sensor. 
it's in fact a, a, a bigger screen than the iPhone 10s. Well, so that and and that's absolutely true, and that and that's part of why the 10R versus the 10s is such a hard conversation to have, and that's where I think that that massively discounts the uh, ability for the 10R to be a successful model because you can't really explain succinctly why it's almost as good, right? And that's where everybody thinks, well, okay, well. I, well, I'm, I want to upgrade. I have the success. It's a little bit weird. And like, you know, like all my friends are taking these cool pictures with this weird and consistent blurry background thing. And uh, like, I want that, but not, like, if I'm going to spend $750 on a phone, I don't want it to be the mid range phone. I want the, I want the cool one. And you know what? Now I define, I'll stick it out another year with this success. And therein lies the problem. Well, and this is, and, and I mean, this is a, um, this is a problem across Apple's product lineup, even outside the iPhone. Like the other example, when I was in the Apple store this weekend, that really stood out to me is the MacBook Air. Like, so it, it, this isn't even like a, I think like, wasn't it when the MacBook Pro was first introduced, all of the, all of the, the ones, or sorry, I should back up for a second. When the retina screen was introduced on the MacBook Pro, wasn't it the case that the official name of that product was like, MacBook, MacBook Pro, Pro with, with Retina, Retina display. display. Oh yeah, it was. Which is which is <laughs> which is which is bad and confusing. <laughs> but, but there was you know, a differentiator, I, right? You look at the MacBook Air lineup, and I'm I'm actually on Apple's website just to confirm that I just didn't miss something in the store, and I and I didn't. It, it's the case that the one version that they sell without the Retina screen, which still starts at nine ninety nine. <laughs> And then the two versions that they sell, with the only difference being storage, of the MacBook Air with a Retina display, is there's there's nothing, there's no difference in naming. It's literally just like here are three computers that are all just named MacBook Air, and that's super super confusing. Um, and I, I, I would, I would, I guess to play devil's advocate, I would grant that there is certainly a bigger difference. I think even to the non techie type person between a retina screen and a non retina screen than there is between a LCD or again, as you would say, liquid retina display <laughs> and OLED display. But still, I mean, that's just, that's a hard conversation to have. And that's been the Mac lineup for a while now is it's just Apple's product lineup is just, it's. It's just so much more confusing than it needs to be. I feel like and expensive. Like I, I get your point. Like that that makes total sense. And and that's been the way up until recently that the iPad has as well. Like like we we've talked at length about how the Mac makes no fucking sense anymore, and how the uh, how the MacBook Air, like it, like like uh, we just have to wait and see. Like uh, like we're both amazed probably that Apple has continued shipping the same. Uh, failed or how do designed to fail uh keyboard layout on all of their laptops and they're just gonna like i just because they're just gonna stick with it for four to five years that like yeah the mac pro they're still sticking with the touch bar they're still doing the the butterfly keyboard and they're still doing all this kind of stuff when really what people probably want is just a macbook air with a better processor like and that's kind of what they did like nobody nobody cares about the touch uh the touch bar like they they want touch id on it or maybe face id in the future and they want a thin, reliable computer, and people mostly sort of got that in the MacBook Air, except the keyboard design is still is still flawed, and it's it's artificially slow. You bringing up the iPad just made me want to go to the iPad page on Apple's website. Is the iPad two still there? 
No, but but here's the current iPad lineup. Mm-hmm. There's the iPad Pro, and there's there's no naming difference between the 12.9 and 11 inch. Those are both just considered the iPad Pro, which I guess comes in two different screen sizes. Mm-hmm. There's the iPad Pro 10.5 inch, mm-hmm. the iPad 9.7 inch. These these are the official names, and the iPad Mini 4. That's that's bizarre. And to have they they have three iPads all within 1.3 inches of each other two of which are pro but different generations of pro and then a non-pro but the non-pro was recently revised i think even more recently revised than the first generation pro mm-hmm. it's it just it's well, just well, we, we bizarre about this where like when the ipad like and so and we can talk about the pricing of the ipad pro too but like the iPad Pro, comma, as well, period. Like, the iPad 9.7, I, I will defend that product in the sense that, like, it is astonishingly aggressively priced for today's Apple. Like, it, it's a very good product for what it is, and it's 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 one hell of a bargain. It's, it's great. I love the iPad 9.7, as someone who doesn't really love the iPad. But when the iPad Pro came out, in these new, like the the Face ID generation, you know, the ones that where it's, it's okay that it ships bent. The iPad Pro 10.5 continuing to, to, to exist makes absolutely no sense. Because if somebody's already buying the Pro, they're going to buy the expensive one. Like, simplify the lineup. Like, sure, there's the Mini that may or may not get um, refreshed eventually and currently exists only because people at retail kiosks still have a bunch of accessories that plug into iPad minis and they, they need that to exist and Apple's throwing them a bone. That's the reason that product is still there. Then you have the low end iPad for people who just want an iPad and it's fantastic that the 9.7 is there. And then the iPad pro is great, but like that, that's Tim Cook's Apple where like a, a entire line will just stay around because they think that there's maybe a customer segment that wants it at that price point. Cause like the iPad pro 10.5 is not cheap. It still starts out at six fifty. Same thing with the, and, and that's the same reason why the MacBook Air from 2012, like that super old machine with the bezels that you could land a 747 on, like that, that thing still exists with its non-retina display for $9.99 because Tim Cook's Apple wants to have their cake and eat it too. What's so frustrating about that though is none of this used to be that way. Apple's Mac lineup, their iPad lineup, and their iPhone lineup all used to be so straightforward and now none of those products are straightforward like even if i'm if i look at like whatever we talked about here the watch so the watch the lineup here is the apple watch series 4 the apple watch nike plus the apple watch hermes and the apple watch series 3 like i mean good like good luck explaining the difference between <sighs> all of those to someone this one I don't hate as much, like it, because the first three are all the same thing. I mean, They're, are they? Is is, 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 the totally Nike, are. Is, is the Nike watch? Is that the most recent one? Mm-hmm. But it but it didn't used to be right. Like it. No, well, no, it's always been the same. The only difference has been that they uh, the Nike Plus and the Hermes version, like they have different bands and they have different screens. Like the band unlocks like a Nike exclusive face, and, and the Hermes version that one has a. Um, like that slanty primary color um, 
home screen, but the actual watch itself is the same. So I like I, I those could be like it could just say Apple Watch Series Four and Apple Watch Series Three, and then Series Four would break out into like the sub editions, just in the same way that Series Four doesn't specify that it's aluminum versus stainless steel and stuff. It's like I don't hate that as much. The problematic part is again if you go to iPhone, where if you see iPhone XS, iPhone XS Max, iPhone XR, iPhone Eight, iPhone Seven, like why does the like the iPhone Seven still exist? Nobody in India is buying it, so it's still too expensive. So like why is it there? And of but course, they, but you're, forget, the, you're you're being too charitable because don't they with the iPhone Eight and the iPhone Seven? Don't they still sell the Plus models of those? Oh as heck well? yeah, they do. Yeah. Heck yeah, they do. But if you go to apple.com slash iPhone, and of course, well, actually, oh, we're burying the lead with all this. Like, let's get back onto the main topic. Um, there was somebody, let me this, let me go back to my Twitter favorites. Uh, Twitter.com. That's a thing. I don't know why I use this in the browser. Um, I will send you a link. This is from Ryan Jones. He is somebody who used to work at Apple. Um, and this is basically what I thought like the moment this came out which is which is a quote tweet holy shit let me say i told you from the second those iphone 10r promos started the very second everyone had an excuse for each sign apple gave their usual sound bites and everybody everybody pretended like they knew all along like people can go back two episodes ago from the thing where we talked about the iphone 10r promo where the entire homepage was dedicated to misrepresenting the price of the mid-range iphone that people didn't want because it was too expensive to be a mid-range phone. And everybody in the Apple media thing was being like, oh, yeah, you know, it's the pricing and deals. You know, like they're just making their trade-in program more obvious. But it wasn't. And that's okay. And Apple is allowed to, to miss on how they um, market a product and how they segment a product. But like, I, like to go back to the, to the key takeaway of, of why... Um, the revenue forecast is being is being um and like and this is something that like I think does matter that maybe people aren't necessarily oh wait, whoops, did I send this to myself and not you? Whoops. I was I was I was waiting. I thought maybe it got lost in the thing or something. Nope. I had I had it in my own little notes channel. Whoops. <laughs> um like what was I saying? Yeah, like no, that's the thing. Where so if you look at the the fact that they're revived like Maybe this is something that people like wouldn't necessarily appreciate is the fact they this isn't like just Apple reported uh, quarterly earnings and missed. It's that they worried about reporting these actual earnings that before earnings day they went and wrote a letter to shareholders to uh, to reduce expectations so that it wouldn't be as bad as reporting a ten percent miss on earnings estimates. Like that's a big difference. So, like, I don't know. I, 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 I think a lot of it, like, so if if we go down the list and just like all the stuff that like Tim, uh, Tim is saying, uh, duh, 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 uh, like, so he uh, Tim cites that um, the iPhone launches were staggered, so the 10s and 10s Max uh, shipped earlier in Q4, um, which means they were available to customers uh, in September of 2018. And that was going to kind of affect the way unit sales reported and shook out and that a lot of the upgrade volume might be in a quarter earlier than the holiday quarter. Sure, that's fine. Um, and the, 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 he, he complains that that would create difficult uh, difficult comps. That's fine. Um, also, the trade war and stuff like that and like foreign currency headwinds, meaning that uh, stuff from Apple, or stuff from American uh, manufacturers 
would look more expensive due to the currency conversion. Like, sure. But basically, the whole gist of this is that he blames uh, 100% of the revenue miss on uh, the weakening Chinese economy versus owning up to the fact that this was probably uh, more a pricing issue than anything else. Because sure, a slowdown in an emerging marketplace like China means that people are less able to buy really expensive phones, but it starts with the fact that you made really expensive phones. Well, but I mean, I guess to to be a little careful here. So, I mean, Apple as a public company, when they put out statements like this, obviously cannot knowingly put out misleading information. So it is it is certainly not the case that Tim Cook, in his heart of hearts, believes that they're pricing iPhones incorrectly and that that's the driver here. He, If he's writing this, he has to truly believe that economic weakness in some emerging markets, which is how he's phrasing it here, is the cause. Oh, now you can absolutely what I'm saying, but like you, 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 you just you think about that one step further. So sure, that is that is to the letter of the law probably accurate. But why is a slowdown in the Chinese economy negative? It's because there are better options at lower price points available to customers. And the more affordable option being the 10R, being the affordable one, in you, people can read Ben Thompson about this kind of stuff because I'm not going to explain it aptly. But like in in the Chinese marketplace, it's really important to like for if you're going to spend a lot of money on something, it needs to be easily identifiable as the best of the best and the top of the line. And if the best of the best is completely unaffordable, people aren't going to buy the 10R because people know it's not the best. So you're losing out twice. So yeah, so sure. The fact that the Chinese consumer was weaker in in the ability to buy these phones, also like sure it's unstated, but the logical conclusion or the like the next step that you could think of that is a likely uh, way to explain this is that the product was maybe priced in an unaffordable manner. Yeah, and I, I guess it'll be interesting with their earnings release later this month. I, I would assume that they'll get asked questions along that line. It'll be interesting to see how they answer that. Yeah. And and that's and the other thing is like and this is something I'm not qualified to speak to, but like apparently like Huawei and, and uh Xiaomi and some of the other companies that make smartphones in China in China are making phones that are pretty damn good and that people are totally fine with not having the Apple brand and just saving the money. Yeah, well and that I think that gets back a little bit to what I was trying to say at the beginning, which is I, I just think Apple has I mean, don't get me wrong, like some of this is was gonna be inevitable. Apple kind of redefined the way that we think about smartphones and inevitably there were going to be some copycats and and there have been not only in China but you could argue here at home too <laughs> but you know putting that aside like that was always going to be a, a portion of the market that would get taken away from them but I, but I do think part of it is Apple's just been slow they've been slow across the board they've been slow to iterate on the iPhone they've been slow to iterate on the iPad they've been slow to iterate on the Mac they've just been slow in general not it's not like they haven't done anything i mean it, you do sometimes lose the forest through the trees with i mean you compare an iPhone today to even 3 or 4 years ago which would have been at what the iPhone 5 and it, it is a it's a significant difference i mean my iPhone 10s max across the board is a way, way better phone than the iPhone 5. But 
there, I don't know. There's still, there's still just something with Apple where it just doesn't feel, and maybe a lot of, maybe more of it's on the software side and not the hardware side. Cause I think there's a, there's a really strong case to be made that iOS has been super stagnant more so than the hardware even. And I, th- I think that's, I think that's a factor. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's fair. I guess let me put it a different way. It's getting harder to explain to people, especially non T word focused people, like why they should upgrade their phone. So look, look at you. It's like you're a professional podcaster. That's a fantastic, <laughs> that, and that's why you're the boss. You're, you're helping this show move along. So that brings up a couple of problematic points. I got to find a better word than that. Um, in in the letter, which is okay. So wild wild should greater China within emerging markets accounted for the vast majority of our year over year iPhone revenue decline. In some developed markets, iPhone upgrades were also as not as strong as we thought they would be. Uh, we believe that there are other factors broadly impacting our iPhone performance, including customers adapting to a world with fewer car- carrier subsidies. Don't even go there, Tim. Uh. U.S. dollar strength-related price increases, and some customers taking advantage of significantly reduced pricing for iPhone battery replacements. And then somewhere further down the line, I, I forget where I uh, did the highlight here. Um, he says something about uh, lengthening upgrade cycles, and there's been marketing, uh, market research where people, because of uh, changes to like the two-year contract model and stuff like that, like uh, upgrade cycles for most people on average are lengthening from 24 to 38 months. So what what do you feel is um like what's your take on uh people upgrading less frequently do you think that crosses over with price and also the fact that this is the weirdest part of the whole entire uh, uh investor letter is that he brings up the battery replacement as a reason why people aren't buying iPhones what, what what's what's your take on that that's really really strange um but but again, it goes back to the point I made a minute ago, which is you know as a public company, when they make statements like this, they they need to be open and honest about them. And I, I mean, clearly, there this was a significant enough impact where whoever was editing this letter said, "Hey, you you know, I could even, I could even see a world where maybe this wasn't originally included, but when you look at the numbers." this battery program tells a meaningful part of the story. And so they have to kind of have to talk about it. Um, but it's very, very surprising that it's in here. Um, as far as the first part of your question, I think it goes back to other things that we've talked about, which is inevitably in a more mature market, people are just going to upgrade less frequently. That's, that's not only true with phones, but that's, that's true with computers too, right? I mean, think back to the late 90s or early 2000s it was fairly common to upgrade your computer every couple of years just because iterations in processing power and increases in hard drive space were enormous year over year you needed that hyper threading <laughs> that's right whereas today yes computers continue to get faster but in a lot of ways we've reached the point where even entry level computers now are super fast and can kind of do anything that most people want them to do. Um, but then there is an there is another part of this specific to the iPhone, which is in addition to the smartphone market being mature, I just don't think the iPhone is as is as exciting as it used to be. 
And some of that's probably fair. Some of that maybe is a little unfair, but I, I keep going back to the point that I'm making over and over again, which is just, I just don't think Apple has, I think, I've, I think they've let their foot off the gas a little bit with the iPhone and they've been a little content with sort of its early success and they just haven't, they haven't pushed it as, as hard as they should. Like I think back to like iOS seven and I I know there was a lot of pushback there with, with some of the design changes they made to me. I think that's a little overblown in retrospect, but like, I think they needed to be making more significant changes like that to iOS, maybe not a complete visual redesign, but bigger changes each year than, you know, just kind of some of the iterative stuff that they've done. So going back a few seconds, were you trying to be funny when you set foot off the gas? No, did I make like a pun or something? So at the end of his letter, Tim writes, most importantly, we are confident and excited about our pipeline of future products and services. Apple innovates like no other company on earth, and we are not taking our foot off the gas. Oh, wow. I'm, I missed that part. Huh. Could, couldn't tell if you were doing a callback. Or no, I, I wasn't, but good, good for me. Yeah, and you and Timbo thinking alike. I guess so. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, I, I I just disagree. Yeah, I I don't buy into. I still think the iPhone's an exciting product, because I think you also run the risk of alienating a lot of consumers if you try to make dramatic changes to a product line just for the sake of it being different. Like, because like iOS seven was a very polarizing change, but overall it was something that was beneficial and healthy for the continued growth and 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 just and for the modernization of a product that. It had like the iPhone, like from iPhone initial, like just now an iPhone, all the way up to like iOS seven. What phone did that ship with? Five S. Sounds in the ballpark, plus or minus a year. Yeah, I that's I I think that's about right. Yeah, like the the, the software stayed pretty much the same. For a very long time, but that was a period where we were getting massive changes. Where we went from a phone that shipped the year 3G was just becoming a thing, but was an edge and Wi-Fi only phone that gained 3G and then HSPA plus and then CDMA to support Verizon and other people like that. And it went Retina, and there was the launch of Touch ID. Like there were there were a lot of like new, very visual and obvious technological changes that happened at that point. And then, yeah, iOS 7 helped kind of keep things moving forward. So it was still a modern OS and stuff like that. But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like the iPhone XS is lacking. I think the problem is more so that maybe Apple isn't making the right choices on what to compromise on to make it available at a more palatable price. Like, for a company like that, like, allegedly uh, is very, very. Um, opinionated in design and and knows what to say yes and no to like maybe like maybe there's things like yeah like maybe it's like what you're saying maybe for them to maintain the their cherished 38 percent margins that they're the only technology company that's allowed to do that um maybe i guess that means consumers don't get to have an oled screen but they have to figure something out where the nice version of their product doesn't cost a thousand dollars i don't know like i mean like like i think it, to your point like it is it's fair to say that so like i think what you're saying speaks to maybe the broader topic of no matter how well apple markets some things 
unless there's a very obvious way to say, well, that's the new one. Like, that's really hard to do. Like, explaining the differences between the 10 and the 10S are hard. Explaining the differences between the 10S and the 10R is difficult. Whereas before, you're like, oh, well, that's the one that has the fingerprint sensor. Oh, well, that's the first time they came out with a big phone. And this one sports like a wireless charge, like stuff like that. Like that's all stuff that was more easy to explain. And that's stuff that they're struggling with now. And since Apple, again, is just pushing prices as high as they possibly can go. If you don't have the stuff that backs that up or creates that clear marketing message of why something's better versus just saying, well, yeah, the computational photography of this thing is amazing. Like that's, that's when you get people who will check out and be like, I'm just going to stick with my current device. And I think that primarily affects developed markets, but also in the developing markets, that's not that's not really moving the needle and driving people into stores. Right. But I think specifically in the the lineup today, like I, again, I I think I think we agree on this. The iPhone XR is a really really good phone, really good phone, and it's you know at least in Tim Cook's Apple, as you would say, it's it's you know it's more reasonably priced not gonna say reasonably priced but relatively more reasonably priced but it's just it's muddled in the sense that it's there's this other iphone that's i'm using big air quotes here technically better but the 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 things that again in air quotes make it better are just not very clear and i think the way that you just described it was 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 really good in the sense that there it's not like there's touch ID for the first time. It's not like there's a large screen phone for the first time. There's not this like obvious thing that you can point to to say, yeah, this is what makes it the best iPhone. The the whole LCD versus OLED thing is crazy. And the one lens versus two lens thing is <laughs> hard to explain. It's just, it's just a, it's a messy, messy lineup. And I think that, I know we've been kind of saying this over and over again, but I just, I think Apple, Apple's product lineup across the board, Mac, iPhone, iPad, a lot of the problems with those products come down to having a a messy lineup. There's just not a, there's not a clear story anywhere. So yeah, I, I, with pretty much everything you're saying, I 60% agree with you. Like, I, I guess, let me, let me pose a hypothetical. Do you, so if, so you, you're, you're Phil Schiller or you're whoever now Apple is in charge of marketing and like in d- deciding whether to kill products or not, there can only be one iPhone. Should the 10s exist and be cheaper or should the 10R exist only? The 10R should exist only. Okay. And how much should it be? Should it be $750? Yeah, it should because it has a bigger screen than the previous top of the line iPhones. Okay, so so by that logic, you are saying that the top of the line iPhone should cost seven hundred fifty dollars. I'm sorry, Your Honor, I'm leading the witness, but but you get the point, right? Yeah, but I, I, I mean, from what you're telling me, again, like I'm not super plugged into this stuff, but what you're telling me is that like comparable high end. Google phones are somewhere in that seven to eight hundred dollar range. It sounds like like the only phone that is the same price as the iPhone XS is the top of the line, top of the line uh, Samsung Note Nine, right? And that is their highest end 
fastest phone with the biggest screen and the most memory and all that kind of stuff. So technically, it's actually still cheaper than the XS Max, which is the closest comp to it. I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess, I, like, and I'm, and I'm trying to lead you down the road of, of just of, of agreeing with me by, by, by just badgering you. Is, is that like the XS is either either needs to be like the only option, and Apple just needs to roll with it and feel like they, um, just a thousand bucks is what they're going to charge, and if you, if, if you can't, if you can't handle that, then you're not, you're not worth it as an Apple customer, or like it needs to maybe not exist where like just because there are so many people that just like it's it's tough to swallow a phone that's more expensive than previous top of the line iphones not being the top of the line iphone i'll just stick with my current phone and replace the battery for 30 bucks and that's and like i guess before because we're, we're gonna belabor this point but like the last part about this and, and going back to the, like the uh some customers taking advantage of significantly reduced battery uh replacements that's the thing where I'm so shocked that like th- that actually made it into this, which is a weird admission because, and again, going back to your thing of like the letter of the law or like if this needs to be accurate, it's so weird to say that either your previous business model was based off the um, kind of just playing dumb that, yeah, phones get old and slow and we're going to kind of vaguely pretend the battery is not replaceable. And just kind of, you got to buy a new one, and that's going to drive upgrade cycles. And hooray, we we laugh all the way to the bank. Or you cite that people can get more than twenty four months out of their phone, and that's now a significant financially impacting uh, barrier to your business model. Like that, that is just I, I'm just shocked that that was actually said. Yeah, I agree, but I mean, they're they're. There has to be a reason why I'm sure they didn't want to do that, but that's, you know, they, they, in this position, they just have to basically describe what the numbers tell them. So it, there, ha- there has to be data that led them to having to, to go down that road. Uh, let me see. Is there anything else that was important here? Oh, Hey, services revenue. So yeah. So, uh, who would have known after all this Apple TV? Uh, the streaming service is going to be what saves this company. Um, uh, as Tim mentioned earlier, revenue outside of iPhone business grew 19% year on year, including all-time record revenue, record revenue from services, wearable, and the Mac. Great. I'm glad the Mac's succeeding. Uh, services revenue generated $10.8 billion during the quarter, and we're on track to achieve uh, doubling in the services revenue from 2016 to 2020. Great. But that also speaks to just the company looking to extract more and more from customers which which is fine but that's just a weird uh, a contrasting viewpoint to what apple generally suggests that it is i don't know i guess to round this out do in light of this i'm not saying as an investment do how do you how does this make you feel about apple when you look back and the past decade has just been Record quarter after record quarter, the numbers keep going up. How do, how does this make you feel? Do you, do you think this is better for the product lineup going forward? Do you think this is sustainable for the eye? Like, what's what's your feel? Well, so to use Nate Silver's parlance, which I know you know you're a big fan of, I don't really think this changes my priors. I think all of the concerns I've laid out here would have been concerns that we would have talked about a week ago or a month ago. 
I mean, maybe this is in some ways a public validation of those concerns, but you know, as, as people who are pretty plugged into this stuff, like we are, I don't think any of this was really unknown. So, I mean, to me, I mean, yeah, this isn't good, but it's also not a complete shock. Okay, but like, but do you think this is going to the realization that Apple is maybe selling fewer iPhones? Do you think that that's going to be better for the product line going forward, or do you think, like, do you think this causes them? Let me ask this like more clearly. I guess, do you think this is going to cause Apple to uh, not drop prices, but to change the way they're pricing phones? Do you think prices will stay the same, go up, or go down? I don't. I don't know if I can answer the question quite with one of those three options. I <laughs> those are the like, you can't do anything else. Well, no, you can't. You downward. can. I think. I think there's going to continue to be more options. Believe it or not, I think. I think we're going to continue to see more. I more new iPhones at different prices. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if. So this year we had what basically three new iPhones between the 10R, the 10S, and the 10S Max. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if next year, well, like this year now, I guess, we saw four, maybe five new iPhone models across a wider price range. That wouldn't surprise me. So I, I think we are going to see a change in Apple's iPhone strategy. But I, I don't think it's going to be as simple as next year, again, this year. <laughs> hey, this is like the equivalent of me writing last year's date on checks now. On Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think it's going to be as simple as this year they go back to coming out with one iPhone or two iPhones or coming out with an equivalent lineup this year, but at $300 less per phone. I don't think it's going to be either of those things it's going to be something a little more nuanced than that but i do i do think that this is this is prompting apple to rethink their iphone strategy in general yes just maybe not in the way that we would want it to go uh, i hmm, i have a tough t- uh, tough time seeing what you're suggesting you would have you would have had a tough time <laughs> seeing the current iphone lineup today even a year ago Oh, I think we talked about it. And I remember when everybody was like, <laughs> and this is, this is why it's extra funny now. Do you remember a year before the 10 came out? Everybody was like, oh yeah, the new iPhone's gonna be $1,600 and Apple can just do it because they're Apple. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess there was some of that, but I, I remember more how a year ago, how it was like, hey, there's going to be this new iPhone that's going to be bigger than the iPhone 10, but be cheaper because it's going to have an LCD screen instead of an OLED screen and just being like, what? Like, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. And it turns out it's true, except nobody wants it because it's not actually the nice one. Yeah, it's tough. So I I guess, so my my question is if, so by your suggestion, it's, it's September, 2020. So you're suggesting kind of there's an iPhone SE two. There's, Something new at the five ninety nine price point, something at seven ninety nine, and something at a thousand, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I I don't know. Yeah, I I I have a tough time seeing that. Just because, like, we're just looking at how Apple is struggling with this uh, this situation of a, a mid range phone, again, barring the fact that it's at the high end price point, and the really high end phone. Like that's that's a tough way to explain it. Just because, like, they trained people to think that there's one new nice iphone every year 
and they're all already struggling to differentiate that. And maybe, and the, I guess one last question to round it out. Do you think the 10R was a mistake in making it so close in feature parity? Do you think it should have been worse? No, I think in Apple's product lineup, the 10R is not the problem. The 10S is the problem. Because it's... Okay. Because it has, techni- because, because it has technology that's just not meaningfully making the product better, but is positioning the product to be a lot more expensive. Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah. I still agree to disagree on that. OLED is pushing up the price. Well, but I, but what's, well, it's not just, it's, it's not just OLED. It's, it's the dual lens system. It's the different materials on the side of the phone. It's, it's all this stuff that kind of adds up to just not really meaningfully changing the user experience. All right. Well, that's, yeah, this, 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 this was, I think it's going to be a, a one topic show, <laughs> but I think we, we kind of expected that. I actually even, um, thought about in the outline today making a joke next to the apple stuff like it this literally might be the only thing we talk about yeah yeah i yeah i the last bit of context i would provide is that a lot of people who generally i feel are very very forgiving or um willing to look past any negative apple news or 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 spin things in a more positive way Almost everybody sees this as a um, verifiably bad thing that is not going to be a single quarter problem. That peak iPhone is here and that the other stuff is not replacing it. Yeah, I, I agreed. Yeah. All right, there has to be some fun, brief thing we could talk about. Because we're actually, we're doing okay on time, but we should, we should go to bed. But um, is there anything fun? So I want okay. I'm going to give you the one thing before Chef's Corner. I want to get to which is oh, we're going to talk about ha- Teslas, aren't we? No, 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 no. You said positive stuff. <laughs> eh, they they shipped they shipped a lot of phones or what? What phone cars? Cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, no, I want to hear about how Dropbox versioning say quote saves your bacon on a weekly basis. I I, I want to I want to hear like a good. Oh shit! I almost just lost a bunch of data. Story. No, it's that... it's just I'm dumb. I'm, I'm and I I totally overwrite uh, overwrote a very important document, and I was like, God damn it! Because like I'm just like very um, a lot of times I'm just very like this is my Windows ninety five and Win- Windows ninety eight blue screen of death uh, kind of memory where I just will instinctively command S all the time or Control S in, in Windows parlance, and I just I overwrote a very very important document when I was making edits to something, and I was like. Oh no, that's that's not good. And yeah, I just go to Dropbox.com. I can see because I'm a Dropbox Pro member or Plus or whatever they call their high end thing. Maybe they should talk to Apple on how to price high end stuff <laughs> or or name high end stuff. Remind me, there's another thing I'm mad at Dropbox about. So this is not a positive thing anymore. But like, um, yeah, no, I'm able to see the past six months or six revisions or whatever of of a document history, and I can do two clicks and the old version of that cover letter or whatever is is back and everything's great. And this, this 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 goes for all kinds of stuff that like yeah just it's great because I actually don't know if OS ten or actually I don't know if Windows does either do any modern operating systems uh, like other than like using a backup client support versioning like you can't roll back to an overwritten document inside Windows like by default right I it's been so long since I've been regularly using Windows I couldn't tell you yeah. 
No, but yeah, Dropbox is great. Except for Dropbox, they have a thing. I'm, I'm sure I took a screenshot of this. But they have a thing where Dropbox has, um, they have their consumer plus plan or pro plan or whatever it's called. But then they also have like Dropbox for business, which I guess now that they're a public company, they really, really want people to sign up for. Um, but they, ah, I found it. Okay, I'll send this to you. They now just, even though like I have a half terabyte, I have a 512 SSD in my Mac. Just a couple times a week, I'll get this fucking, I'm sorry about the family show thing, this pop-up message in Notification Center just saying, hey, your uh, your hard drive's almost full, even though I have tons of space left over. And it just tells me, hey, do you want to go pay $10 more a month to us and use a feature called Smart Sync, which is not actually that good? So that's kind of weird and spammy, and I can't figure out how to turn off that message. Hmm. Yeah, that's lame. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Oh, and then uh, you can put it in the notes, but uh, looking at your document, uh, apparently <laughs> we talked about it. Or I don't know if this is online or offline. You brought up something about Lexus's um, December to Remember sales event and uh, Carbos. And then a day later, the New York Times had a big story about um, how that's totally a thing. Yeah, which I I only put it in the notes because I've always kind of thought that the number of car commercials during the holidays was was weird just because like who gets a car for christmas like that's just, people <laughs> that people buy an iphone 10s yeah maybe but even beyond just the cost like i would think that like a car is a very personal thing with like lots of different choices and options and i would think that as someone who's getting a car, you'd want to be involved in all those decisions. So unless all of these gifts are the type where it's like, well, here, I'm I'm going to buy it, but then surprise me with it on Christmas. It just, it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird to me that you would just go out and buy someone a car and be like, I hope you like the fact that I chose the, you know, beige seats instead of the black seats. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Strange. Yeah. I did. I have to give Lexus credit, though. Speaking of that December to Remember slogan, the ads they ran this year, where it was something along the lines of saying, like, you know, a June to Remember, and they'd show like a summer scene, and then like a September to Remember, and they'd show something in the fall, and then like the 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 punchline was all starts with a December to Remember. I'm like, eh, that's that's clever. Some some marketing person at at Lexus should be very content with themselves that's that's pretty that's pretty good should be working for apple <laughs> maybe yeah all right what do you have for um chef special yeah so I've, I've actually got something uh related here uh so i, I had mentioned <laughs> you bought yourself a lexus es <laughs> i did uh-huh yep sold the model three uh no 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 to, to the contrary um so i mentioned on the last show we were going to be doing a bit of uh road traveling over the break which we did and we took the Model 3 down to Southern California. And my my pick, I guess, specifically is is Tesla supercharging, but I guess more broadly, just sort of the experience of driving a Tesla on longer trips, which was something when I got the Model 3, I was kind of concerned slash skeptical about. Like there were some stories, I don't know if they were directly from Tesla or just kind of pro-Tesla media or whatever, but... You know, there were kind of these narratives around like, hey, actually, you know, stopping and charging for a while is good. It's good to take a break and that kind of thing. And I, you know, totally didn't buy into that. 
but I have to, I have to kind of admit, like, there's some truth there. Like, the combination of stopping for longer periods of time and then also having autopilot, particularly in situations where there's a bunch of stop and go traffic, which, believe me, going down to Southern California the day after Christmas, we hit a ton of. Like, the combination of those things made it so that, you know, it took us something like 11 hours to get to Southern California when it should have, even factoring in charging time, should have only taken, like, eight. Um, Like, I ended up, like, I felt fine when we got there. I felt way less tired, way less frustrated than I would have expected to. Um, So, yeah, the, this the kind of the whole, like charging experience in a in a tesla and specifically like the way that um you know tesla kind of specifically or strategically sets up these superchargers in areas that are kind of you know interesting to stop at with shops and restaurants and things like that um it's just it's a it's a it's a good experience i still don't (laughs) still don't like to travel long distances in the car but Definitely had a way better experience in the Tesla than I've ever had before. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that a Tesla probably doesn't get enough credit for, which is to uh, because electric cars, like ma- making a, a good electric cars, is fine on its own. But it becomes it like the impracticality aspect of it still kind of rears its ugly head if there isn't the infrastructure behind it. And no other car maker has actually thought to build it themselves. And it seems like the supercharging network seems pretty, pretty great. The only thing I'll the only thing I'll point out, which you've been hearing in the news a little bit, and I can totally confirm this firsthand, is with this, you know, complete explosion of the number of cars they have out there. The supercharger network is it's definitely getting stretched. I, we never ran into a situation where a place we stopped didn't have a, an available spot for us, but. You know, it was like a place that would have 20 stalls, there would only be like three or four open. So like it was definitely, you know, close, which was which was interesting to see. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. They have to like that, how that scales up and how they nurture that type of thing is is going to say a lot about kind of how like how that adoption continues. Because of the reputation is, well, sure, superchargers are great, but on um, during holiday travel days you can't find a space therefore you just have to sit there for hours is it's not gonna be a good look i mean yeah that would be that would be a total non-starter um and the other thing i would kind of point out too which i sort of noticed is you know supercharging is certainly less than gas but not not by as much as you would necessarily think it is and actually tesla on the supercharger website which i'll put in the notes here has a calculator that you can use where you can put in your your Tesla model and then give it the number of miles driven and you can compare the price of gas to the to uh, the price of charging in a supercharger and so like if you travel 700 miles for example you'd expect that to be $71 worth of gas and the supercharger charging costs you would expect to be about $47 so it, savings but like it's not like you're paying like 10% of what you'd pay for gas so you know the the cost savings really isn't even like the main factor here like my experience last week was more just there's kind of something nice about just like stopping for like both directions we stopped once for about 15 minutes got coffee 
and then stopped a second time for about 40 minutes and had lunch. And that was like, that was nice. It is, but you could also do that without, like, stopping while you're driving is, is not necessarily a requirement of having an electric car. No, it's it's totally not, but like, I was, I've always been the type where I just want to get somewhere of as course. fast as possible and yeah. just kind of like power through. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just can't do that with an EV. Your car forces you to. No, that's great. No, like that, that, that is totally legitimate. Whereas like, if, yeah, if, if you're like, you know, I'm making good time, I'm just going to, if th- this is a eight hour drive, that's taking me six hours and 40 minutes, I'm not going to stop. I'm just gonna keep going. Whereas if your car forces you to, you're going to end up being recharged both <laughs> your car and mentally, and then you're going to have a better experience overall. I will say the other cool thing about supercharging too is just like it's just so frictionless because you literally just pull up and you just you just plug in like there's no you don't swipe your credit card you don't do anything it's just literally like you plug in the cable and you walk away. Wait, so does your car like is there like a data transmission thing on the um, charging port that tells you what like your VIN number is? Yeah, there is. Uh, that's smart. Mm-hmm. And you just you have a credit card on file with Tesla, and it just it just automatically charges you. Yeah, it's out of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, in all it's been a busy weekend in all the Apple uh, hubbub. I did not actually think of one, so I'm going to go to one that's kind of been in my hey, here's something I like uh, thing. <laughs> After your whole fancy thing, I'm going to talk about a trash can. <laughs> so I don't think I've talked about this one, have I yet? Have I? That's the, this isn't, just to be clear, this is not a metaphor for Apple or anything? No, I'm not talking about the Mac Pro. Mm, I am not. Okay. Just just, just want to be clear. Not, you're not throwing a shade, as the kids would say. No. So I've had the trash can for about a year. Jesus And Christ. I really like did it. You, did you really spend $200 on a trash can? Hey, 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 Mr. Supercharger. <laughs> <laughs> Spending $47 on electricity? I don't... You know how far I can drive in a Tesla for $200? Pretty far. Oh, hold on, but, I can actually, actually I can tell you here. Hold on, but, but yeah, you're I can just drive, you're, but you're you're doing uh, a, a madman style. I can drive thing three thousand miles. I could literally go across the entire country for two hundred dollars supercharging. Yeah, but you'd have to think about all the coffee you're having to buy <laughs> while you're st- you're stopping waiting for your electric car to charge. Um, you remember that scene in Mad Men where he's taking the family on a road trip and he's just throwing litter out the. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I hated that scene so much. Even though I know it's probably very accurate for the time. It, it was it was it was very bad. Anyway, my pick or my chef special is the fifty eight liter simple human uh, dual compartment stainless steel trash can. Uh, this is the recycler model because because it's green. Anyway, it's a very cool, nice, uh, well built uh, kitchen trash can that when it opens up, um, it has two compartments in it, so you can have your recycling on one, you can have your trash on the other. Um, and the hallmark of all simple human trash cans is that behind it, there, I, I assume on the page it shows you this somewhere, you get a little thing where you actually keep the trash bags in, like, inside the back of the thing. So it's super simple and easy to um, always have bags at hand, even though you now have to buy proprietary trash bags. Oh, my God. Because mine has the H-liner. I can't use other trash bags. I tried using the Target Up and Up brand ones, and they're a pain they ass to use. So therefore, the um, the H liners are perfect. I really like this uh, trash can. Uh, Don't judge me. Hey, you're 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 probably not recycling well enough. I I have two. Oh, oh, I don't get me started. I I compost. Okay, I don't I don't compost, but like with the recycling around here, 
if you have extra cardboard, that's fine, but you got to break it down into like these certain dimensions and they have to be stacked in a certain way. I do all that. I do all that. Well, yeah, but because it'd be wasteful not to. I, people who do not break down their cardboard are can't 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 deal with it. This is this is this is very nice. I will certainly grant you that. Like the the little handle on the recycling part that seems very handy. But man, two hundred dollars. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Or I mean, or just this is. Hey, I have an iPhone eight. Okay, that's fair. So you've you foregone an an iPhone upgrade for your. For your fancy, fancy trash can. I account for 5% of Apple's material, uh, not misstatement. Um, they revised down because I kept my iPhone 8. Because you bought, yeah, you bought this simple human trash can instead. Yeah. It's pretty good. The The lid is antimicrobial. <laughs> so which, which finish did you get? You get, you get, you get the rose, do you get the rose gold? No, that always upsets me whenever I go into the Bed Bath & Beyond, is, is that they always show the right at the front, they have the rose gold simple human trash cans. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not down with that. This is a very Apple uh, color lineup. If Johnny Ive had made a trash can, it would be my uh, my black stainless steel 58-liter trash can. Yeah, like it would be, so the 58-liter comes in black stainless steel. And they charge you an extra $10 for black stainless steel. <laughs> right. Which is presumably the most popular color. Uh-huh. Brushed, which is a kind of brushed steel. It's, it's literally just called brushed. And then rose gold. Mm-hmm. Which color do you have? I have black stainless steel. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're spending 200 bucks, you know, what's an extra $10, right? Again, I, the, the judginess <laughs> that's flowing up to us. Oh, $200 how, how, how many, how many game, Sharks man. games have you been to this year? I've been to I've been to three games. I have been to zero, and all that money has flowed directly into the trash. Or the thing <laughs> that holds the trash. Uh, and <laughs> sorry, I was, no, I was gonna say something mean about the sharks. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm gonna say it. My my trash can probably has a better win record than the sharks. Hey, easy. They're fine. And 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 uh, what's what's the guy's name? Is his name Mister Shark? <laughs> DJ Shark, Sharky. Sharky. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he has a trash can with all the residuals he has from his from his deals when he, or it's probably his lawsuit from when he was hanging from the roof for so long. <laughs> right. he, he he probably got a Hewlett Packard good for that money because they were probably still named the Hewlett Packard Arena or sorry the HP Pavilion when he, when he got stuck. Nice, nice callback. <laughs>